want to tell me what this is all about? As I execute the drop shot at the apex of the net I sneak a peek at the ball and figure that it's got to twist Cause I've been serving and volleying so long That even all my coaches think my mind is gone But I ain't never beat a player that didn't deserve it Me be treated like a loser? You know that's unheard of You better watch what you're writing and what you're tweeting Or you and your friends might get banned and blocked I really hate to lie but I got a level as they lose, I see myself as the golden boy. Fool, I'm the Spanish guy, all the juniors wanna copy. Running round on the court, getting trophies in the spotlight. Been spending most their lives living in the Carlos Paradise. Been spending most their lives living in the Carlos Paradise. We keep spending most our lives living in the Carlos Paradise. We keep spending most our lives living in the Carlos Paradise Look at the tennis tourneys, they got me playing I don't want a normal life, I was raised on the courts So I gotta be down with the glam life Too much Vamos Rafa watching got me chasing dreams I'm a good looking guy with dollars on the brain Got my check in my bag and a smile on my face I'm a Rolex boy, Nike wearing man and I'm the number one, so don't cross me ever Fool, greatness ain't never but a match point away I'm living life win or win What do you want? I've got one major now, but will I get 23? The way I'm playing now, absolutely Tell me why am I so good at this? And why are you even trying to stop me? Been spending most their lives living in the Carlos Paradise. Been spending most their lives living in the Carlos Paradise. We keep spending most our lives living in the Carlos Paradise. We keep spending most our lives living in the Carlos Paradise. Trophies and the money, money and the trophies, match after match, tourney after tourney. Everybody's playing, but most of them ain't winning What's going on in my life? And I know what's cooking They say I must improve, but no one's qualified to teach me If they can't play my tennis, how can they beat me? I, I guess they can't, I guess they won't I guess they stink, that's why I know my life is good to go, fool Been spending most of their lives living in the Carlos Paradise Been spending most of their lives living in the Carlos Paradise we keep spending most our lives living in the Carlos Paradise. We keep spending most our lives living in the Carlos Paradise. Why am I so good at this? And why are you even trying to stop me? Tell me why am I so good at this? And 
Hi there, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis. Thank you for finding the pod. Thanks for downloading, and thanks for listening, no matter what point in time you may be listening from. It is 6.36 p.m. on the West Coast on Sunday, March 19th. Just over an hour ago, Carlos Alcaraz defeated Daniil Medvedev to win the 2023 BNP Paribas Open. Earlier in the day, a few hours ago, Elena Rybakina defeated... um, That's the second time I've done that. Arena Sabalenka to win the women's edition. So on today's episode of the podcast... We're going to review what happened the last two weeks at Indian Wells and also begin to turn our attention forward to Miami. So let's get to it. Topic one, the men's final. So we'll do the score line off the top here. Um, it was never a match. Number one seed, and now the newly returned to world number one, Carlos Alcaraz defeated... Uh, the hottest man on tour in terms of results. Number five seed, Daniil Medvedev, 6-3, 6-2. This was never a match. It was 3-love in the first set, and that was about it. At, at one point early in the second set, Alcaraz won eight or nine points in a row, and it was just over. This is the least amount of analysis you'll ever hear me do, especially for a final but it was just a complete blowout. It was never competitive. Going in, my head was saying Alcaraz was going to win, even though I wanted, in my heart, for Medi to get the victory, but it was not to be. It was just so completely clear that Alcaraz was superior, and he deserved to win this tournament. There's no doubt about it. So instead of doing a, a play-by-play or a deep dive, Let's jump right into the larger implications of this, of Alcaraz winning. First, I went back, and here are the Masters 1000 title numbers of some active players. This does not include Djokovic and Nadal, who are way up in the 30s, but it's kind of looking at the best of the rest. Zverev's got five. Medvedev's got four. Alcaraz has got three. Sitsipas has got two, and Team has got one. Yes, I did put Team on the list as a little bit of a consolation prize to him. But just to say that again, Zverev's got five. Most of those came five or six years ago now. He won a couple in 2017. Medi's got four. Again, a couple of those were several years ago. And Alcaraz has got three all in the last year. He's got Miami, he's got Madrid, and he's got Indian Wells in the last 12 months. And he is not even 20 years old yet, and he has three of them. He is well ahead of Medvedev's pace for sure. Zverev was probably on a similar pace at the time, but you know he won he won a bunch when he was young and not as much recently. So you know. In a couple of years, Alcaraz's pace will presumably uh, be better than that. But the point is, Alcaraz has superstar crossover potential. Whatever it is, 
he has it. And I could see his popularity going beyond tennis. He looks like a, a sports superstar. I mean, I can be honest. Alcaraz is a good-looking guy. Um, he's And he's very good at tennis. Like I said yesterday, he's got the power aggro game. And in tennis, that's what it takes to win. To win a Grand Slam, you need a weapon. To win multiple Grand Slams, you need weapons. And Alcaraz, he's got weapons. And yes, he's going to lose some matches, and there's going to be ups and downs. We even saw this last year. He didn't win everything. He won some big ones, but he did not win all the big ones, and that will continue. He will not win every tournament he enters, but it's just so, so clear that he has got superstardom written all over him. And if he keeps on this trajectory, he is going to be a great, great, great player. He is the next great player. He is clearly on the big three tier in terms of potential. Zverev's not on that tier. Medvedev is not on that tier, even though he's playing quite well. Sitsipas is not on that tier. None of the other guys are on that tier. He, Alcaraz, has got it, and he's not going to win everything. But my gosh, if he does not break his leg or have an act of God injury or have an act of God suspension or something, if, if, he, if, if, if he does remotely anything correctly, he is going to be winning a lot of tennis tournaments and... He is already almost in the Hall of Fame. If he wins another Grand Slam, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame because then he'll have two majors and three masters. That's Hall of Fame. Sorry. And again, he's just, he's not even 20 yet. We could be, he could be doing this for the next 20 years or the next 15 or the next 10 or the next five and then he could flame out. But man, if he continues for at least a couple of more years, Tennis is in very good hands. Carlos Alcaraz is the man. For Medi, I know he didn't win today, and going into the match, even listening to the pod yesterday, I didn't pick him to win necessarily, but the last couple of months have been good for him, the last couple weeks. And unfortunately, his winning streak did not involve winning a Masters 1000 tournament or a Grand Slam tournament, so it's not going to get too much mainstream attention. However, he righted the ship. He has fully moved past 2022 at this point. I think he has reset his career now, and it's going to be interesting going forward. Number one, we're going to Miami, which he's never made the semifinals of either. But it's hard courts, so hopefully he'll do well there. Then we get to the long stretch of the season that is his weak point. So it's going to be interesting to watch Medvedev. Hopefully he can have some good results. I hope he can win a tournament here and there, because I like Medi. You know, Medi looked like he just got out of bed this morning when he, when, when he was on the court. And Carlos looked like he was ready to go shoot a photo spread for a fashion magazine. So it was interesting to juxtapose the the two um, looks there. Medi 
is for the obscure tennis nerds like myself. Carlos is for the general population. I think that sums up their appeals. Um, yeah. Topic two, the ATP rankings. Carlos Alcaraz is back to number one in the world, displacing Novak Djokovic. Today, March 19th, 2023, could be the final day that the big three are ranked world number one. After today, we might never see Roger Federer, certainly not, Rafael Nadal, or Novak Djokovic ranked number one in the world again. I think it's unlikely. I think Djokovic has a good chance at getting it back, especially with Alcaraz having Miami champions points coming up. But it could, it, you know, there's always the chance that it couldn't happen. So if this is the end of the big three at the top of the game, it was a heck of a 20-year run. But as we can see, the guard has changed, and the new guard is ready. The number one ranking has kind of fluctuated in the last year. Just in the last 13, 14 months, we've had um, Medvedev as number one, we've had Djokovic as number one, and we've had Alcaraz as number one. And I think I've mentioned it on the pod before. Certainly in my texts, I've mentioned it. Look at Alcaraz's point total to be number one, 7,420. That indicates weakness at the top of the game. That indicates that there's not a dominant, you know, 12-month sort of player. And Alcaraz is good, but he hasn't been a 12-month player just yet. I, I guess that's unfair. I, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I mean, he's been good. He's been good much of the time. I guess my point here is, in the past, Djokovic and Nadal have been world number ones with 10,000, 11,000 points. And, you know, now we're seeing world number ones with 7,000 and 8,000 points. That definitely indicates that the chasing pack is closer to the number one ranking or that the number one is, is pulled back more towards the pack than was the case maybe five or ten years ago in the game. And I expect that fluctuation to continue, it, especially in the short term. I could see Alcaraz... Alcaraz and Djokovic switching for that ranking, especially with a lot of points coming up for both guys. Alcaraz is only ahead by 300, less than 300 points, 360 points right now. And he won Miami and Madrid, so he's got those 2,000 coming up. Um, Djokovic doesn't have a lot to defend at that point. Um, you know, and he's got the... 7,160 points, and he got to the quarters of the French and earned zero points at Wimbledon, so he's got a little bit of a cushion, maybe, I would say, um, so we'll see how that goes. Here's a look at the number one uh, official rankings. These will be the official rankings for tomorrow, Monday, March 20th, 2023. Number one, Carlos Alcaraz, 7420. Number two, Novak Djokovic, 71-60. Number three, Stefanos Tsitsipas, career high, 57-70. Number four, Casper Ruud, 55-60.
Number five, Daniil Medvedev, 43-30. Number six, Felix Auger Aliassime, 34-15. Number seven, Andre Rublev, 33-90. Number eight, Holger Rune, 33-25. Number nine, Hubert Herkacz, 30-65. Number 10, Taylor Fritz, 29-75. And let's take a look for big movers. Let's see if we have any. Number 43, Jack Draper, up 13 spots. Number 61, Jensen Brooksby, minus 12. Number 68, career high, Nuno Borgs from Portugal, plus 12. And I think we're good there. Taking a look at the live ATP race to Turin. Um, number one, Djokovic is still number one, largely because of the Australian Open. This is points earned only in 2023 so far. Number one, Djokovic, 24-30. Number two, Daniil Medvedev, 20-30. Number three, Carlos Alcaraz, 15-50. Number four, Stefano Tsitsipas, 14-80. Number five, Cameron Norrie, 12-45. Number six, Tommy Paul, 11.75. Tommy Paul, six in the race. How about that? Number seven, Yannick Sinner, 11.35. Number eight, Taylor Fritz, 10.95. Number nine, Alex Damonar, 8.80. Number 10, Karen Hachinov, 8.55. Again, he did well in Australia. Number 11, Francis Tiafo, 8.45. How about that? And then if we skip down to number 16, Ben Shelton, 565. Number 17, Yuri Lehechka, 562. In the top 16, we've got Paul, Fritz, Tiafo, and Shelton. And then Corda's number 20. So that's five Americans in the top 20 in the race. How about that, USA? Nuno Borgs up to 22 in the race. Checking out some other... Big movers. Alexi Poprin up 8 to 52. Yan Leonard Stroof. He um, played a challenger this week, so he got plus 39 spots. He's up to 59 in the race. Uh, same for Alexander Sevchenko. He's up to 65. And I think we are good on that. Okay, that was topic two. Topic three, the women's final. Unfortunately, I did not see this one live. Again, that is a concession to real-world events. Um, but let's take a look at the scores real quick. Alrighty. So in the women's final earlier this afternoon, number 10 seed Elena Rybakina defeated number two seed Arena Sabalenka. Seven six six four, two hours and three minutes. The first set was over an hour. It might have been an hour ten, an hour fifteen. I saw the number earlier, but it was a thirteen eleven tiebreak that Urbakina won, and then she got through the second set six four. So that was a very well played set of tennis. A shame I did not see it, but I was very tired. Um. 
my, you know, Sabalenka's going to be fine, I think. She's been on a great run, and she's the, the, the confidence that she was filled with yesterday does not go away when you lose a very tight match one time like this. So Sabalenka's going to be fine. She's still playing well. I'm not worried about her. How about Rabakina defeating the two best players on the tour, Sviantek and Sabalenka, and the top two seeds in the tournament to win one of the biggest tournaments on the calendar? That is very impressive. And I must say, I was wrong about Elena Rabakina. When I, even on this pod, well, let me go back further. In the summer, she won Wimbledon, and she won Wimbledon, you know, before I started this podcast, so I didn't get my contemporary, you know, day of sort of reaction to her winning, but even on the early episodes of the pod here, I mocked her. You can go back and listen to the... Uh, Canada and Cincinnati episodes, I was probably saying stuff like she was being banished to the outer courts, the tournaments were disrespecting her, the fans were disrespecting her, nobody was giving her any credit, and at that point, it was rightly so. And she wasn't doing anything to back up the Wimbledon win. However, she got to the Australian Open final, um, and she's got this great win here. And I think that you know, means that we should kind of go back and evaluate the whole body of work here from Rabakina. So let's let's take a minute to revisit the Wimbledon draw. I'm going to look at that here. Um, let's see. For Rabakina at Wimbledon, um, she beat Coco Vandeweghe. Okay. Bianca Andreescu, fine. Kinwen Zhang, fine. Good. Petra Mardich, okay. Quarters, Alia Tomlanovic, not the strongest draw, but in, in the semis, she had a win over Halep and a win over Ons Jabor. And at the time, Halep, I definitely got the vibe from Halep back at that Wimbledon semi that she was not happy losing to this unknown quantity and that, you know, maybe she sort of choked. But, you know, looking back, 6-3, 6-3 for Rabakina, she wins lots of matches like that. Today's match was kind of like that. The semifinal match was definitely like that. Then she beat Jabor pretty easily, 3-6, 6-2, 6-2. So maybe, you know, even on the pod and in my texts back then, I was saying, you know, Jabor was the true winner of this tournament, you know, I was very disrespectful, and again, at the time, rightly so, but if you go back and look at the Wimbledon run through the prism of what's happened now, it's largely the same as what's happened now, so maybe the the Wimbledon run here was kind of the canary in the coal mine for Elena Rabakina, and if Wimbledon counted, she would have 2,000 more points, and she would almost be at the top of the game right now. After the results this weekend, I clearly think that the reigning triumvirate of the women's game right now is Iga Sviantek, Irina Sabalenka, and Elena Rabakina. Pick whatever order you want. I would still put Sviantek 1 just because of history. Um, 
two and three is real close. Because she has a slam, I'd probably put, you know, um, uh, Sabalenka. But those three players, Sviantek, Sabalenka, and Rubakina, they've won the last four majors. Is that right? Because uh, Sviantek's defending two, Rubakina's defending one, and Sabalenka's defending one. Yeah, so those three players are the best in the game right now on form. And they're the only players that are the defending champs of Grand Slam tournaments right now. So I think that's pretty interesting. Um, okay, um, let's take a look at the WTA rankings. Let's look at the official ranking. Here, these should be the rankings for uh, tomorrow. So let's take a look. Number one, Iga Sviantek, 99.75. Number two, Arena Sabalenka, 67.40. Those are unchanged. Number three, Jessica Pagula, 56.05. Number four, Caroline Gar- Caroline Garcia, 49.90. Number five, Anz Jabor, 49.76. Number six, Coco Goff, 44.01. Number seven, new career high, Elena Rybakina, 37.20. Number eight, Daria Kasatkina, 33.75. Number nine, Belinda Bencic, 33.60. Number 10, Maria Sakkari, 31.91. She is down three spots. Um, taking a look, Kvitova is up to 12. Let's see. Looking for some big movers. Halep is down six spots to 25. Bedosa is down seven spots to 29. Bianca Andrescu is up five spots to number 31. Hey, she's in the French Open seed range with two months to go. Jill Teichman, who had the win over Benchich, is up seven spots to number 32. Um, Petra Mardic, minus 11, down to 41. Gracheva up to 53, up 13 spots. Muhova is up 21 spots to 55. All right, and uh, Rebecca Peterson is up 27 spots to number 76. Taking a look at the live WTA race, here it is. Number one, Sabalenka, 33-20. Again, Indian Wells final Australian Open win. That's where that comes from. Number two, Elena Rybakina, 25-71. Number three, Iga Sviantek, 18-20. Just throwing it out there. It's March 19th, and Iga Sviantek is number three in the race. At some point, these things become hard to move the deeper that you get into the season, and we're approaching that in the next three to four months. Number four, Jessica Pagula, 15-25. Number five, Belinda Bencic, 14.30. Number six, Barbora Kachikova, 13.81. Number seven, Coco Goff, 11.95. Number eight, Victoria Azarenka, 10.61. Number nine, Carolyn Garcia, 1,001. Number 10, Magdalenette hanging on to a top 10 for now, 9.47. Number 11, Maria Sakkari, 931. 
Um, Kvitova is up to 18. Muhova is up to 19. Gracheva is up to 20. Serana Kirstea had a good run this week. She's up 39 spots in the race to number 34. Rebecca Peterson is up 21 spots to number 38. We're still at the point in the season. We're still early enough to where there are big race movements week to week. Um, is this the race? Yeah. Emma Raducanu is up 31 spots in the race to number 63. She won consecutive matches at a big tournament for the first time in a while. And those are your WTA rankings. That was topic four. Topic five, let's take a look at the doubles briefly. I haven't covered that at this tournament, but I will give them a look right now. Um, let's start with the women's doubles. The doubles finals were yesterday on Saturday. The number one seeds, Siniakova and Krejcikova, beat Haddad Maya and Siegmund to win the title. 6-1, 6-7, 10-7. They win a lot of doubles titles. On the men's side in the doubles from yesterday, um, Rohan Bopana, age 43, I think I saw, and Matthew Ebden defeated the number one seeds Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skupski, 6-3, 2-6, And with the rankings, let's take a look at those. WTA doubles. Let me see if they have the pairs. Um, live WTA doubles race. Yeah, let's take a look at that. These are the teams competing for the World Tour Finals at the end of the year. Number one, Siniakova Krajcikova, 3,000. Number two, Aoyama Shibihara. I'm going to go quick through these. Number three, Pagula and Goff. Number four, Kichinok and Ostapenko. Number five, Kato and Sutjiadi. Number six, Schurz and Kravchik. Number seven, Kudermatova and Samsonova. Number eight, Rusa and Kostiak. Now let's take a look at the ATP doubles race um, through the conclusion of Indian Wells, taking a look at the pairings. And here they are. Number one, Hijikata and Kubler. They've still got the 2,000 from Australia. Two, Bopana Ebden. Three, Nice Zielinski. Not that one. Number four, Kulhoff and Skupski. Number five, Glasspool and Heliovara. Number six, Maximo Gonzalez and Andres Smolteni. Number seven, Santiago Gonzalez and Eduard Roger Vaseline. Number eight, Aravelo and Roger. And those are your doubles teams. Number six, topic six, tournament review. In the men's draw, when Sitsipas went out early, it really deprived the bottom half of the draw of big names and big matchups. That's partly why Tiafo got to the semis. But as I sort of pegged from early on in the tournament, that cleared the way for Medvedev to make the finals, which he did. And I didn't mention this officially earlier, but Medvedev's unbeaten run of three tournaments and a final here comes to an end. So it was a good run, but today he didn't even have a shot. But still a good tournament for him. 
On the top half of the draw, Alcaraz definitely anchored it. It was slightly more competitive, but being honest, this is not one of those tournaments that was teeming with great, great matchups. Um, Nori and Fritz, they were kind of came through. They sort of anchored their sections of the draw for a while. But when push came to shove, they fell away, as you would expect. Um, with the women's draw, there were late skirmishes. I thought that draw held up much more. Um, even if the top, top seeds didn't get there, you know, beside, well, let me rephrase that. Obviously the number one and number two seeds did well, but you know, from three to nine, they were not as successful. But despite that, I felt that there was enough star power to bracket the women's tournament. Despite that, you know, the draw was not an A-level draw. The matches largely, there were some exceptions, there were more good matches on the women's side than there were on the men's side. But overall, I thought this was a B-level tournament. I thought it was fine. It was not the best tournament that's ever been played. It was not the worst tournament that's ever been played. It was I, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it average either or below average. I thought it was an average to slightly below average tennis tournament. And... You know, the tournament was in the desert, and right now we're, you know, we're kind of coming off of the tennis desert period. Indian Wells marks the ramping up of the season. It becomes much more of a daily or weekly thing starting this week for the next six months through the U.S. Open. Indian Wells marks the start of the meat of the tennis calendar, and it was certainly a welcome tournament if not the greatest tournament that's ever been played. But I'm definitely glad that it happened. And I hope that Miami can be at least as good, if not better. Um, and that's going to bring us to transitioning to talking about Miami. We are going to leave the desert behind, and we're going to go from one coast to the other. And we, need, um, our, we, we here at Argonne Productions need, need to take a short bathroom break, so... I will rejoin you in just a moment. And we're back. Now let's move to talking about the Miami Open. First, let's take a look at the player list. Now, as of the time that we're recording this, just after 7 o'clock, 7.09 p.m. Sunday night, the WTA draw has already been released, but I'm not going to look at it for a couple of days. I'm going to go through and actually do line-by-line line picks to do a preview show with. I want to be a little more thorough than I was for the preview show for this tournament. So I'm just going to be going off the player list here, the entry list. And as of this recording on Sunday night, the ATP draw hasn't been done yet. So that's why I'm sticking with the entry lists here. WTA entry list, just looking at the ranks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yep. Looks like, you know, pretty much all the top players are there. On the ATP side, same thing, except, um, you know, the number one Novak Djokovic, or, you know, number one as of the entry list time, um, is not playing due to his vaccination status. Just to put a bow on that, this is the last tournament that Novak Djokovic will ever have to miss 
because of due to his vaccination status. Um, it's March and April, and the U.S. vaccine requirement is not being ended by the Biden administration until May 11th. However, at that time, it will end, and obviously May, June, and July, the tennis tour is in Europe. Um, but when the tour comes back here in August and September, Djokovic will be able to play those events, and he will all, he is currently able to play in Europe and Australia. Um, actually, I don't know if he'll be eligible to play in Shanghai or not. That's actually one that he might not be able to do. So with the possible exception of Shanghai, um, Djokovic will be able to play tennis full-time starting next month in Monte Carlo. And I'm glad that that story is finally going away. It was being used by political opportunists here recently, especially by conservative political opportunists from the state of Florida. Anyway... Hey, just in just in time for one political tennis story to go away, we got another one coming. Wimbledon is going to be coming, and from what I'm seeing, it's looking like everyone is going to be able to play, so that hurdle is going to be uh, removed. I'm not sure if they're going to award ranking points. You would assume that if everyone can play that the ranking points would return, but I haven't seen that directly spelled out yet. But it's March 19th, and Wimbledon starts in three and a half months, and this is the kind of thing that has to be ironed out well in advance of the tournament beginning. So in the next six weeks, I expect this story to get a lot of attention. And, you know, man, thanks, Wimbledon. You really showed Vladimir Putin who's who, you know? You guys understand what I'm saying there? Like, they banned him. And then they unbanned him, and that decision had absolutely no bearing at all on what Putin is doing. But it's going to be interesting because this is going to become a British political story. We're going to have to see the politics of Wimbledon on this. We're going to see how... I mean, they're going to have to do a tap dance to sort of rationalize their position last year with their position this year. And I'm sure their PR people are already working on the word salad verbal language they're going to use to justify the decisions. And I'm sure um, Rishi Sunak, Rishi Sunak is going to have to weigh in, the Prime Minister of Britain. You know, the guy that had to weigh in on it first, Boris Johnson, that was two British Prime Ministers ago because we had Truss in the middle there. And now we have Sunak. So I'd be interested to hear his thoughts on that if he's asked about it, if and when. Anyway, those are your Miami player lists. Um, tournament schedule. Indian Wells this year put both tournaments on the same day and they aligned it every day, meaning the men's and women's played the same round on the same day all throughout the tournament until the weekend, obviously, the final weekend. But Miami is still going with the old way. They have staggered all the tournaments. So here it is. So Monday is qualifying for everybody. Tuesday, March 21st, women's first round. Wednesday, March 22nd, 
men's and women's first round. Thursday, March 23rd, men's first round, women's second round. Friday, March 24th, second round. Saturday, March 25th, men's second round, women's third round. Sunday, March 26th, men's and women's third round. Let's stop right there for a moment. So as you know by now, in these 96-draw tournaments, P.S. Miami is a 96-draw tournament, the seeded players do not open till the second round, so the top women players will be debuting Thursday and Friday, and the men's top players will be debuting Friday and Saturday. Anyway, week two, Monday, March 27th, men's third round, women's fourth round. Tuesday, March 28th, men's fourth round, women's quarterfinals. Wednesday, March 29th, quarterfinals. Thursday, March 30th, men's quarters, women's semis. Friday, March 31st, men's semifinals, and the women are off. Saturday, April 1st, women's singles final, the men are off. Sunday, April 2nd, men's singles final. And for you East Coast listeners, um, this is going to be in your home time zone. And for the West Coast listeners, it's been nice having a tournament in our time zone over here. This is the one period of the year where we get to have that with a big tournament, but now we're back on the earlier morning schedule. But hey, for the East Coast, or sorry, for the West Coast out here, we have 8 a.m. start times, and then the matches do not end at a completely unreasonable hour. You know, if they play until 1 a.m., that means we're done at 10. So having it with those hours is going to be nice, especially starting on uh, Friday at 3.20 p.m. Eastern Time, or Pacific Time, 3.20 Pacific Time, I'm going to be on break. So for the second week of the tournament, when things start to get much more interesting, I am going to have much more time to check it out, and I am very happy about that. The defending champion, um, Shviantek, is defending the women's. I haven't actually looked that looked at that. You know what? I'm just gonna re- I'm just gonna research that. Cause didn't she beat who the heck did she beat? Oh man, I cannot remember. Let's take a look. Yeah, Shviantek is the defending champion, and Alcaraz is the defending champion for the men. So, the number one seeds are going to be the defending champion in both tournaments. So that's going to be interesting. And we got spring break coming up for me. Real quick, topic eight. Um, Tennis Channel press release. They put this press release out on March 1st, and it covers both March Madness tournaments. I think I read from this before, but just to skim some stuff about Miami specifically. Quote, The network follows a similar schedule at the Miami Open, March 21st to April 2nd. A notable exception is the replacement of a daily lead-in show with the nightly Tennis Channel Live at the Miami Open at the conclusion of each evening's play. More than 120 live and 170 encore hours are planned for Miami in 2023, with matches beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern most mornings. 
The final, Saturday, April 1st, will feature the women's singles final at 1 p.m. Eastern, followed by the men's doubles championship. Sunday, April 2nd, we'll see the reverse, with men's singles and women's doubles winners crowned, also set for 1 p.m. Eastern. Live Miami Open competition will also stream on Tennis Channel Plus. The digital subscription service will make all matches from both events available on demand upon their conclusion. The network's second linear television channel, T2, is free on Samsung TV Plus to anyone watching a Samsung television made in 2017 or later. T2 will again show live matches from Miami that will not be carried on Tennis Channel. Viewers with both channels will be able to channel surf between the two to select the match of their preference or stay on top of both. Miami Open windows also begin at 2 p.m. Eastern and run from Wednesday, March 22nd through Thursday, March 30th. Likewise, live coverage of both events will air on Bally Sports Regional Sports Networks, RSNs, throughout the country this year. The channels will feature coverage from Miami Wednesday, March 22nd through Wednesday, March 29th. Hall of Famer Martina Navratilova will offer analysis during the Miami Open again this year. As a player, she grabbed a singles championship in South Florida in 1985, where she also won the doubles and mixed doubles tournament that same year. Fellow analysts Jim Courier, Tracy Austin, Lindsay Davenport, Pam Shriver, and Andy Roddick round out the Hall of Fame representation in Tennis Channel's tournaments booths this March. Courier was the first man to win the singles, quote, Sunshine Double in 1991, taking both events while also winning the doubles championship in Indian Wells. Um, uh, um, Davenport will also offer uh, perspective, uh, and then they have some stats here. Okay, um, there we go. I think that's enough of that. All right, so again... Tennis Channel will have all the stuff there, and then the Tennis TV ATP service will also have streams for all the ATP tournaments. And that's all the Miami Open preview information that I'm going to go over at this time. Before we get out of here, let's take one more look at the YouTube channel. Let's see if they've posted any press conferences yet. And they have. Okay. So we've got a Medvedev press conference following his loss. Okay, this is good. Let's hear from Medvedev following his loss today. Here he is. Hello, everyone. Hello. Well, this could be an easy one. <laughs> no one comes. <laughs> Welcome to the press conference of Daniel Medvedev. First of all, Daniel, not the result you would hope for today, but um, what can you summarize from today's Yeah, a week would be easier to summarize than today because today, tough. I, I didn't play my best. He probably played good. And that happens, unfortunately, sometimes in tennis. I mean, uh, um, because already it's not that long after the match, but I was thinking, and it happens, you know, if uh, after my match with Novak, 
I was the same. I was like, I played pretty well, but Novak didn't play his best. And that's, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's what happens. Why didn't I play my best? I don't know. Uh, maybe it was his ball. Maybe it was uh, the wind was pretty windy today, and for him it was easier to go through this wind, and that's normal. Uh, that's what's easier to do for him. So I have no real reasons, and sometimes in tennis you don't have them. Uh, disappointed with the result, but the week was amazing because Indian Wells to make final. I'm I'm just super. Uh, happy and proud because it's <laughs> it's a, it's a clay court on hard court, so that's a good result for me. A lot of points, uh, a lot of uh, you know uh, things to see in uh, in the season. Started it really well. I made already more points than last year uh, than last year at that point. Uh, so yeah, only I see only good things uh, and looking forward to Miami for sure. Uh, I know you didn't play your best today, and I know you've seen a lot of him play, you watch a lot of tennis, but this is the first time you've played against this version of Carlos Alcaraz. What is it like to face? He's playing good. You know, I, I feel like he was serving well today. Uh, serving well, he was good. Like, even uh, I, I knew that uh, it's never easy to finish a match, uh, especially a final. I was thinking about my match with Novak in US Open, and I was like, you know, try to do the same, maybe uh, put pressure on him. And uh, for example, Deuce, I made uh, finally like a very good return on his serving volley. Sliding uh, forehand volley drop shot, yeah. So uh, it's not easy to play him. I would definitely uh, love to play him on other surface, uh, like maybe a little bit uh, faster hard courts to see if I could do better. Uh, and yeah, again, I don't know if it's his game that um, uh, didn't let me play my best level today or just for whatever reason I didn't play my best level because I was men mentally I was ready for the match I don't feel like I kind of uh, uh, took it too easy before the match I was ready for, for, for a fight I knew that uh, I have a tough opponent uh, on the other side uh, and yeah he, he played well good drop shots and good moments uh, some good uh, good winners uh, to, to break me so not much more to it Hey, Daniel, I'm just curious. Uh, you've been number one. Carlos will be back at number one again. How do you guys, the players, sort of view the ranking right now with Novak's situation, the fact that he hasn't been able to play as much? Is it a true number one in your mind? Oh, yeah, 100%, because it's for sure unfortunate that Novak uh, cannot play all the tournaments, uh, and I'm sure everyone would love to see him play because it's just uh, good to see Novak play. He, he plays very good. Uh, but uh, it is what it is, you know. Uh, if you get injured, uh, I don't know, Rafa is injured for, for some time. We also can say, well, if Rafa would not be injured, he would be a number one. Well, we cannot know because he's injured. So same about Novak. For sure, if he would be able to play last year uh, and this year all the tournaments, uh, there is a, a possibility that the rankings would be different. But, uh, but, but <laughs> there shouldn't be no buts. Um, so Carlos is deservably world number one. He won uh, more points than everybody else in the last 52 weeks, and that's how rankings work. Uh, and yeah, he, uh, he was also a year-end number one last year. So that's uh, something uh, I, was, uh, I, I, I haven't done. So I'll try uh, for sure in my career. Uh, yeah. Daniel, does your performances here over the past 12 days give you confidence for the clay court season? 
a little bit tough to answer because as much as I said about this court, <laughs> at least, uh, uh, look, uh, to, to not uh, back off from my words I said in the third round or whatever, you, uh, you don't have to slide here. Sliding is a little bit something that's not easy for me on clay courts. Uh, but I, I made some uh, good results uh, in the past on clay courts uh, in some big tournaments. So uh, I'm feeling uh, great right now at this part of the season, mentally, physically, honestly, um, in my tennis. So I'm looking forward for sure for a clay season. But first, I want to try to do well in Miami where it's still hard courts, even if maybe it will be very slow. <laughs> Daniel, um, you, you just said you're obviously disappointed at the, at the end. <clears throat> sorry, the end result. But at the same time, um, does this sit with you for a day or two when you consider the conditions today and how well he was also playing, or do you get over it pretty quickly? I think this one I will get over pretty quickly. It depends uh, how many finals you lost in a row. What were your previous results? Uh, uh, I don't know, sometimes uh, how you're feeling in life right now. Uh, answering to all these questions, I feel pretty well. I won three tournaments. I managed to, to make my best result in Indian Wells, where before I couldn't make it to quarters. And uh, already my second match was three-setter. So uh, a lot of uh, positives for sure. So I think this one, like, I will be forever disappointed that I didn't win the final, but I can laugh already and uh, whatever. I'm going to try to to win the next one or win this one next year. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward already and uh, for sure will not think too much about this one, but we'll discuss it with my coach for sure. Your winning streak has come to an end. Uh, I'm one away from my record. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, actually, that's actually disappointing. <laughs> But is it also a sense of relief, like that that pressure is gone of keeping the streak alive? Oh no, I, I'm really disappointed because I had 20 one time, if I'm not mistaken, 20 or 21, but I think it was 20. And this would be cool to, to try to beat it uh, and maybe uh, try to prolong it as long as possible. It's, it's great to have these tricks. You feel, you feel great because in these tricks you will always have maybe some uh, easier by the ranking opponents, but some top ones also. Um, unless you play, I don't know, six to fifties in a row, but that's rare. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, really disappointed that it's a, it ended, but uh, a lot of confidence from this trick because last year that's what I was missing, kind of these tricks. I was doing sometimes finals, uh, semis in Cincinnati, kind of playing good, but not good, playing well enough in the semis. I managed to win 19 matches in a row. I'm proud of it, and I'm gonna now. It's time to try to build a new streak. There is no other way uh, in tennis. Yeah, Daniel, it's easy to be a critic, you know, with a pen and notebook sitting in the stands watching you play. But do you feel like you made enough changes, considering how the match was going and tactics and the way you were playing it? Um, it was not easy because. Uh, I tried for sure, that's what I try to do all the time, if something is not working. Uh, but he was kind of uh, cutting the rhythm well. Um, with uh, When I say cutting the rhythm, you know, when a guy serves 130 on the tee and you don't return it, not much you can change. Uh, then, um, I don't know, the moment I started feeling like maybe I was getting a little bit better in the rally and missing less, I was missing a lot for, for whatever reason today. Uh, he did like this game where he did three drop shots in a row where I 
couldn't really see them so then I got ready for it and I won couple at the end but again talking about the servant volley on a juice point which he made so um, I will I will talk more with my coach to see for sure for the next matches if there I, if I want to win you know I have to change uh, change more or uh, just be better but uh, yeah I don't have any regrets saying um, I should have changed this or that. I just should have played better in general, but no regrets in terms of kind of tactics. Thank you very much. Thank you, for your thank, you thank you, everyone. So that was Medvedev. Well, we were listening to that. The YouTube channel posted Sabalanka's press conference. So we're just going to roll with it. We're going to extend the pod a little more. Let's listen to Sabalanka's comments following her defeat earlier today. Yeah, it's a tough, tough loss, but um, she played uh, unbelievable tennis, and um, I would say I didn't serve uh, great today. But yeah, it was another tough battle, and this one goes to her. She deserves it. She's a great player. So yeah, hopefully next one I'll I'll do a little bit better. Can you talk through the match a little bit more? It seemed to get a little bit windy there at the end as well. Yeah, that was a little bit windy, but um, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, we both play in the same, uh, in the same conditions, so I was just like, I was struggling a little bit more. Um, and especially, I mean, when you lose the first set and then everything seems like going not your way, then it's even tougher to play in these conditions. But when you like win in the set and then. Um, like there's no pressure on you, so you play better in this condition. So like I was struggling a little bit more, uh, but that's okay. Uh, I mean it happens, and um, I'll keep working, and uh, hopefully can do better next time. Uh, Arena, just you, you did have that break advantage in the first set at yeah. four two. So what what changed from there? And with respect to the serve issues today, was that fully you, or was that the pressure that she was putting on you on the returns? Um, I think it was combination of both. I think um, I didn't serve that well, and it started to get a little bit more windy, and I didn't adjust my serve. Um, and um, and of course, um, she. I felt like she stepped in a little bit and started playing a little bit more aggressive. And yeah, just a little bit there, there, and um, yeah. I had I had a lot of opportunities in the first set and I didn't use it, which is totally fine. It just kind of I feel like it's a small reminder that no, you have you still have to work on so many things and there is, will be days when uh, everything, not everything like where, not everything will go your way. So you you still have to work hard and you still have to fight a lot. How did your emotions after losing that first set start to affect how you felt? in the early part of the second set? Um, yeah, I think um, I was super disappointed of myself after the first set, especially when you kind of like coming back and then and, 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 uh, she had a set points, then uh, then you kind of hold it. And then uh, you was, I was serving for like, I don't know, three times, I think, uh, for the set and I didn't use it and my surf didn't work well. Um, yeah, I was super disappointed with that. And I, I, I went in the toilet uh, to switch off to kind of uh, reset and start everything from the beginning. But then um, seems like in the first two games I um, I wasn't there. I was just like all over the place, and I was just trying to bring myself back, back on court and keep fighting. Uh, so yeah, it didn't work well today. Hi, Irina. 
you just talked about that it was maybe a small reminder to you to just to stay focused. And yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what, what is the message you're taking away from? Um, yeah, um, what I mean is that um, there is will be some days when, uh, like, old habits will come back and you just have to, um, you just have to work through it and uh, not every match will be, like, going your way and you will be serving perfectly. So it's just kind of a reminder that um, that's okay to still struggling with something and that's okay to um, don't play your best and, like, uh, keep fighting and keep uh, using uh, the rest of the uh, weapons you know and um, and today I was uh, I would say that I was super disappointed with my surf so I back I, I was back to old habits I was like a little bit uh, overreacting on things and I was uh, I was I wasn't there in the first two games in the second set so I mean um, this is what I'm what I mean on the serve and the 10 double faults in the first set and you're saying old habits, um, how concerned were you getting during the match with something like that? Nerves creeping in, the double faults at the set points and things like that? No, I was just, I mean, of course, in, in the first set when I was like serving for, I don't know, third time for the set, I was a little bit nervous, but I was just trying to bring myself back and trying to... Um, how to say, trying to do, uh, I mean, better on my surf, you know, you know, like, um, trying to technically go better, uh, but yeah, it didn't work uh, well today. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, just thinking that you haven't lost many matches this year. In fact, that was only your second one. Almost as though maybe you're not used to losing anymore, anymore which is a good, a good position to be in. How do you handle that tonight and <coughs> tomorrow and the next day? Will, how long will it take you to, to get over it? Will you think about it? A lot. About uh, uh, after this loss? Yeah, about, about having not won. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I don't know. For me, it's quite easy. Like I, I think it's going to stay in my head uh, till tomorrow, and tomorrow we are flying to Miami, and I will forget this one. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, it's good to have these uh, statistics in, the, in this season, but um, I'm not focusing on that. I'm just like, the thing is helping me uh, to stay focused and to keep winning is just to focus on myself and focus on the game and focus on things what I have to do on court to keep winning. So, yeah, but this one was tough, especially in the finals. It's always tough to lose, you know, like you're like one step to the trophy and you're losing it. That This one is really tough. But she's a great player and, I mean... Uh, do, you, do you go over it in, in your mind, though, the, the one or two points that maybe might have made the difference? Like when you when you lie down at night, yeah, this is. I think this will be my dream tonight. It's going. It's going to be like in my head uh, till till tomorrow, uh, because yeah, there was uh, so many points where I could play better and where I could uh, handle myself better. And and, and and I mean, and especially serving for the set. Like there is no pressure on me. Why would I go for like bigger serves? Just like. Uh, surf uh, to the body and just play the point, you know, and I was like um, overheating. So, yeah, this is just another lesson and uh, that's okay. I have nothing against that. I will I will learn and I will uh, come back uh, better. Uh, Arena, just uh, obviously your first final here at Indian Wells, 
we're going on to Miami. Are you more comfortable in the conditions at Miami or Indian Wells? I don't remember conditions in Miami, to be honest. And I'll have, I will have only a few days to figure out if I am comfortable there or not. Um, but I mean, these t tournaments are amazing. Like here is like just tennis paradise. Miami is, and it's uh, it's an, an, another paradise, a little bit different than here. Um, we'll see. We'll see how courts, um, what the courts are there, and uh, yeah, hopefully I can I can do well there. Hi, um, she's now won Wimbledon in here and had other good results. Um, talk a little bit both about her game, but also. Do you know her a little bit? Can you tell me, tell us a little bit about her personality? And um, I don't know her that good, uh, but she seems very nice and, and and cool girl. You know, she's she's really good. She's really good person, and I would say on off and off the court. Uh, um, but I don't know her that well. But seems like she's a very nice girl. How much more determined does this make you? Um, you know, you said it'll take you till tomorrow to get over this, but um, going, looking ahead, looking uh, forward, the the extra confidence it might give you, having reached so far again and kept this uh, amazing run of of uh, titles and wins, its finals, um, the determination it, it it brings to you. I quit. Like, didn't really get the question. Like, does it make you like to want to? Uh, well, how much more of a, a, a firmer step forward, you know, when you, you've got Miami just, you know, a potential final just two weeks away to to uh, to regroup after this and, and uh, feel positive about that? Um, I think it's a good, like, it's not good to lose, but I think this tough loss will motivate me more because I don't like to lose in the finals. This is the worst, you know. Um, so I wouldn't say that this loss is really good, but going to Miami, I think I'll be more motivated instead of going as a Indian Wells uh, winner. So I mean, I hope that this uh, tough loss will help me in the next matches to stay focused and, and, and keep working and, and keep fighting for another title in this season. One of the things that I haven't been meaning to get to on the podcast, but have not, is that Rafael Nadal's top 10 streak is going to be ending. He entered the top 10 on April 25th, 2005, and he has been there every single day of our lives ever since. Number one, that's incredible longevity for a guy that was considered, especially at that time, to be on the short career trajectory arc. And number two, he's maintained that top ten throughout stretches of being injured. Like in 2012, he missed half the year, and he's missed other stretches. But even in that period, he never left the top ten. And let's be honest... Most of that was because of how the rankings system works. He was never injured during the clay court season most of the time, and the 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 points he would rank up, he, he would rack up in a month period or a two month period, that would buoy his ranking for the injury stretches that he missed. But regardless of the reason, um, that streak is incredible. 
and it's ending now because he's injured, so the injuries have finally caught up to that ranking. But even so, incredible, almost 18 years to the day run, 18 years minus a month, 17 years and 11 months in the top 10, and that's the number one streak by far. When Federer was injured, he was out the top 10. When Djokovic was injured in 2018, he was out the top 10. So that's an incredible streak by Rafa, and it's incredible that he was the one to get it. The most injured guy got that streak, and the other guys did not. So isn't that interesting? Okay, now one more time before we go, I'm going to check to see if the tournament uploaded anything else. Let's see. And they have not. We'll get to the winning press conferences in a future podcast, but for now, I think it's time to get out of here. Thanks for listening to the pod. Thanks for downloading. If you have listened all the way to the end without skipping, thank you guys very much. I hope you enjoyed the rap at the beginning. It's time to take a short little mini break here, but not too much of a break because Miami gets underway in just a matter of a day or two. We'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening, and this podcast was brought to you by Argon Productions.